Now, the wise men brought the Christ child. Now, understandably, it was about two years later, but they followed that star, you know, for two years. The tenacity and the determination that they were not going to be left out of honoring the Christ child. They were not at the mall. They were not out to dinner. They left everything they had and for two solid years. They followed that star. Sometimes they had to pause, you know, because when cloud cover is in, you can't see those stars. So there were times that their star disappeared. Times they had no direction. Times they were lonely. Times they were cold. Times they had lost their way and had to get back on track. But thank God, determination took them all the way into the presence of the King. And I think that's how you are. I think as we leave 2019 and celebrate the birth of the risen Christ, I think there's a new determination coming to you. And if there, if there isn't, there should be because we're not only getting ready to step into a new year, we're getting ready to head into a brand new decade of the promises of God. And I'm, I'm calling it the decade of dominion where we take authority. Amen. Well, so they brought him specific gifts. I like specific gifts. Now, if you got me one, please forgive me for what I'm about to say. But like gift cards, at, <clears throat> I don't know, you know? Because, you know, even if the socks don't fit, I know you got me some socks. You got me something specific. I'm always a little concerned when I get 10 bottles of cologne in one Christmas. I don't know if there's an issue there or not. But they came with great specificity. They came with gold. That was a gift fit for a king, of course. So they had perception. And then they brought him frankincense. We had to educate some folks last Sunday about what frankincense was. I'm amazed with all the essential oils. Now all the essential oil salespeople are a little uncomfortable. They've got an essential oil for everything. I'm waiting on skunk because somebody would buy it. You just call it essential oil. And uh, they brought frankincense because that is a gift that was brought to the presence of God. It was used as incense only in the worship of Jehovah God among the Jewish people. So they brought gold and they brought frankincense. But now that third one, that's a little confusing. Some of you children tell me what else they brought. They brought gold. What did the wise men bring? They brought gold, frankincense, and what? Myrrh. Myrrh. Not myrtle. That, that's at, at uh, Tabernacles. They brought myrrh. Myrrh is the most unusual of those gifts because myrrh was used for the anointing 
of those who were deceased. Now that seems a very strange gift to bring a child two years of age or under. Can you imagine if somebody showed up at your house at Christmas and they brought your little baby death anointing oil? That'd be very odd, wouldn't it? But again, with their perception, they understood that this baby born under that star, born in a stable because after all, that's where lambs should be born, that this child, unlike any other child in history, past, present, or future, was born to die. Now that's very, very important to you and I. I'm sure that everyone knows the Christmas story. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin spouse to a man whose name was Joseph. I mean, if you've ever seen the Peanuts Christmas special, you know that one. But I'd like just in great, great brevity just to speak to you and you'll see a miracle because I spent 10 hours with this just raising up in my spirit. And I wish I had three hours to just preach it. But I know it's Christmas Eve. And after all, there are presents to be opened, hams to be eaten, and no figgy pudding. Till next year. And I'm not sharing. So I want to talk to you just in great brevity about the subject at the tree under the blood. Look at your neighbor and just say, we're at a tree and under the blood. We have to begin way, way back, way back before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, before Amos and Malachi and Zephaniah and Zechariah and all the other eyes, way back there before Isaiah and Jeremiah, before Ezekiel and Daniel, way, way back. No, 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 before first and second Kings and first and second Samuel, way back before Daniel, way back to the very beginning of all beginnings, where God formed a man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. But let's go a little further. Let me just walk you through a little bit of the first three chapters in the 1,166 pages of your Bible. After I remind you that Hebrews 9.22 says something we must never, ever, ever forget. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Why do you think we wear red at Christmas time? to remind us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Can you imagine a world without forgiveness? Can you imagine a world with no apologies and no I'm sorry's and no forgive me's? Without the shedding of blood, 
there could be no remission. So then when you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, your Bible is very clear. The Lord God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and God commanded the men, saying, Of every tree in the garden you can eat, but of the tree in the midst of the garden you shall not eat, for the hour that you eat thereof you shall surely die. Now we understand that's not physical death. It couldn't have been. Because even after Adam sinned and the life of the presence of God went out from him, he lived another 900 years. So was the creative power of God still alive in him because of the breath of God. Then you get over to Genesis chapter 3 and we see the introduction of that which the prophet said, behold, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, banished from heaven, bound in the earth, loosed in that atmospheric area between the third heaven and the first heaven. Hmm. Now the serpent, says your Bible, was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, hath God said? Look at somebody next to you on this Christmas Eve and ask that staggering, startling, paralyzing statement, has God said? Calling into question the integrity, the ferocity of God himself who is not a man, your Bible teaches, that he should lie. Neither the Son of Man. There, Adam and Eve sided with God's great archenemy in the boldest rebellion, and the human family was begun. But still yet, God came down in the midst of all that retrieval. Man had wound his moral clock backwards. The image of God had been dashed to pieces. Death had come for the very first time and turned blue the lips of the children of men. The locust and its great king had come and turned blossom into dust. Man had rebelled against God. And in that moment, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, your Bible says, and then their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. Who told them? Shame told them. Guilt told them. Fear told them. All of those emotions came flooding into the being of humanity. Sin began to rule the day and death by sin. So they did everything they could. Now here's where we run into difficulty, trying to fix what we cannot fix. If my watch is broken, I really seriously doubt that I could give it to one of these children and give them a hammer and ask them to fix my watch. 
They didn't create it. They don't know how to fix it. They have no education about it. They have no experience with it. And that's exactly how you and I are because we are born living dead men. We know nothing of life, so we try to fix it. When life doesn't go the way we want it, we have to fix it. We have self-intervention. We have to dull the pain with alcohol and drugs. We, we let envy rule our lives. We, we don't use our tongue for what it was meant for, but we use it for gossip and slander and backbiting and ill-speaking and negativity because we don't know life. Am I getting through to you? He didn't come so we could have tinsel and beautiful lights, although I love them both. He didn't come for figgy pudding and turkey and dressing. Or if you're from Eastern Kentucky, chicken and dumplings. He didn't come for that. He didn't come for apple pies and pumpkin bread and greens. That's not why he came. He didn't come so that we would have presence. He came so we would know his presence. He came all the way from heaven down, but they tried to fix it, so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Mm. But go on just a little further. In verse 21 in Genesis 3, the Lord God made garments of skins for both Adam and his wife, and God clothed them. A little later on, your Bible shows us God's response to our failure. Try as we may and try as we might, we cannot measure up to God's standard. We cannot have life. Miller knows nothing about the high life, but God knows everything. He is the giver and the sustainer of all life. That's why he came, bursting through the bloody flanks of a 14-year-old virgin girl while angels sang happy birthday and shepherds showed up to see if it was true. He wanted to announce, you can live. John 10.10 10 says, the thief Satan came hissing around that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, saying, hath God said? This is what God said in John 10.10, 10, your thief came to kill and to steal and to destroy, but I am come ah, that you might have life, life, life and life more abundantly, sufficient in quantity, but superior in quality. Somebody just raise up a praise if you believe he came to give you your best life. Not only in this world, but in the world to come. Eternity, eternal life. We see here the very first glimpse of the great doctrine of the Christian church called substitutionary atonement. 
That's why we're here tonight. In a moment, we're going to partake of a piece of bread. And we're going to partake of some of the fruit of the vine. And when we do, for the first time since Calvary, the blood and the flesh will be met together again. Your Bible says that life is in the blood. Mm. In fact, when God made covenant with Israel, he said, when you offer a sacrifice or when you eat your meat, you shall eat no meat wherein is the life. He doesn't mean eating a live animal. He's talking about the blood being drained as his son's blood was drained, as he hang naked and pale, writhing in his own blood upon that ugly, rugged, cruel, angry, mean, biting beam called Calvary. There he suffered. There he bled. There he died. There death was conquered by the blood. Ah. Atonement. What does it mean? Substitutionary. You can get that part when you have a substitute in school. It wasn't the teacher. Someone stood in for the teacher. Well, on that cross, Jesus became our substitute. Everything that was poured out upon him while lightning flashed out of dark-throated storm clouds and thunder clapped until it was deafening and the earth convulsed and the sun was black as midnight at noonday there upon him, your sin, your death, your sickness, your disease, your pain, your separation, your shame was placed upon him. He that the sun sets free, huh? I'll close very quickly. He that the sun sets free is free indeed. But now wait a minute. Do you know that it is impossible to know freedom apart from the law? If there were no law, there would be no freedom. America is the land of the free and the home of the brave. Because America used to be a place where we had respect for something called the rule of law. That means that your freedom runs out where it infringes upon my freedom. I should have saved this, shouldn't I? I said there can be no freedom without law. Otherwise, we would use freedom for license. If there were no law, what is to stop me from taking your possessions? Well, this is the problem with this generation, isn't it? They think freedom means the absence of law. 
But freedom is exactly the opposite. Freedom cannot be achieved without the law. Without the law, there's no freedom. Get this now. But apart from penalty, there is no law. Who is going to obey a law on the southern border when they know there is no enforcement? I'll try again. Who's going to obey a 55 mile an hour speed limit when you have a car that'll do 120? If you know there is no enforcement nor penalty for breaking that law. Here's what happens in the modern church. In the modern church, we want freedom without law and we want law without penalty. My Bible is still true. I know it may be an odd time to say it, but let me just parenthetically insert, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. God, I don't mean to preach. God put Adam and Eve, our pristine parents, in the elegant garden of Eden, and he stood them up in front of that tree. And he said, if you want to be free, I have to give you law. It's an amazing thing to me. Elder Canfield, how many laws did God give our pristine parents in the Garden of Eden? One. Just one. Do you know what it was? Choose, says God, me. Well, you talk about the fulfillment of everything in that big old thick book we call the Bible, as big as Moby Dick. It all distills down to that. Choose God. When you stand at the tree of temptation, choose God. When you want to be bitter, choose God. When you want to criticize, choose God. When you want to complain, choose God. When your body wants to be sick, choose God. When you want to complain, choose God. When you want to leave your wife and family, choose God. When you want to cheat on your taxes, choose God. When you want to curse praise, choose God. But if you don't, it is my lot to remind you, if you break the law, there's a penalty. Here it is. Here it is now. God placed them in that garden. He wanted them to be free, so he gave them a law. And he said, if you break the law, there's a penalty, death. Pretty high penalty, death. Watch this now. Certainly physical death was a part of what God said, but as I can remind you, Adam lived another 900 years. Anybody looking for your nine, your 895th birthday? 
He lived 900 years. So although physical death was a part of it, he was speaking about something far greater. He was speaking about separation. Separation from him as the blood was separated from the body of his son. Uh, but thank God, the blood was shed. So thank God, there is forgiveness for breaking the law. <laughs> I mean, every free person in this building ought to start shouting right now. The first response, get this and I'll move on. The first response of God to our failure for all of sin, the first response to our falling short for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's first response was to shed blood and make a covenant. The world grew exceedingly dark. God got a hold of an old boy named Noah. It had never rained in the history of the world. But God said, I'm gonna send a rain. And when I do, you gather all the flocks, you gather all the animals, and you build a boat. And Noah said, right. What's a boat? For you and for the saving of your house. So Noah built a boat. You know the story. The world as they knew it was destroyed by that flood. But then a bird came with just a little twig in its mouth and the waters began to reside. And God told Noah, get ready now. I'm bringing you out. Now God gave no instruction about it once again. It was intuition. Noah came down the planks of that ark with his family. And before they went looking for food, before they built a home, before they did anything, the first thing Noah did is say, get me some rocks and get me some wood. I'm about to build an altar. And when he built that altar, the first thing that he did was shed the blood of an innocent animal and lay it upon that altar. And the Bible says that God came down and God made a covenant. He said, because of this, I will never again destroy the earth by water. And this shall be the sign of this covenant, my bow in the air. Wait a minute. Did you ever think about that moment? Noah shed the blood of an innocent animal and almighty God himself would not cross that bloodline. So you tell me, after God's son 
wheezing and crying and sighing and dying and spilling his blood on that cross. You tell me how any defeated devil is ever going to cross that bloodline into your life. No, sir. God stands guard over the blood covenant of his son. Now that's a reason to shout and clap on Christmas Eve. Ushers, please let us prepare to partake of the sacrament of the Lord. Now we do not believe in the doctrine of substitutionary, well, in the doctrine of transubstantiation. What does that mean? Well, that means that these elements that we got at the store would be miraculously transformed into the actual body and the actual blood of Jesus. We don't believe that. We do believe that these are the symbols of the covenant. Now I receive, since the time I was diagnosed with cancer nearly five years ago, I receive Holy Communion every day. I mingle the blood and the body. Why? That represents resurrection. When God brought him back from the dead, he joined the blood and the body together again. And tonight, you're going to receive the broken body, the shed blood of the living Christ. Now God gave some specific instructions. He said, now, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Too much of the church doesn't understand do this in remembrance of me because they try to get all sad. And they want to think about Christ and they put pictures of Calvary up on the screens and everybody gets that long face. Well, the long face was for when the blood was separated from the body. This is not a funeral snack. This is a resurrection celebration. You're not going to put out three crackers and a piece of bread tomorrow for your Christmas dinner. You're not going to buffet your body. You're going to buffet that thing. That's what this is about. This is not a sad time. This is a joyous time. A time of great celebration. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. He gave some other instructions. He said, now if you're hungry, eat at home. Then he said, when you come to receive, what he paid such an awful unspeakable price for you to receive eternal life blessing in all that pertains to life and godliness he said when you come examine yourself look at your neighbor look at your neighbor and tell them that's the last time here for a little while I'm going to look at you because God didn't tell me 
to examine you. Somebody just learned something. He said, let a man examine himself. He said, because we don't rightly discern the body of Christ, because we choose to know people after the flesh instead of after the spirit, many eat and drink damnation to their, themselves. And for this reason, many are weak and sickly among you. God looks at us as a body, whether you do or not. And he says, there's an arm and there's a leg and there's an eye and there's a foot and there's a wrist. They're all connected together. So let me tell you what happens when you use your mouth to talk about your preacher. Let me tell you what happens. Your vile mouth shoots poison, not into my body, but to an our body of which you are a part. You speak death into yourself. Well, they're just so thus and so. And next time I see you, you'll be thus and so because you spoke it right into yourself says, let a man examine himself. Some folks get nervous right there because they're like, I know me better than anybody and I've been putting up a pretty good front and I can with the best of them, but I know what's inside. Here's good news for you. He said, let a man so examine himself and so let him eat and drink that cup. He never says, examine yourself and don't eat. Here's why. Because when you examine yourself, you don't examine yourself against their opinion of you. The Bible says that unspiritual people are like people that view themselves in a mirror, the Word of God, and then go their way and forget what manner of person they are. That's why when you examine yourself, you don't examine yourself by my opinion of you. You don't examine yourself by your spouse's opinion of you. And you don't even examine yourself by your opinion of you. You look in that book. And immediately he says, go ahead and eat and drink. Soon as you look in that book, why? Because in that book, you see yourself forgiven. Man, that's a gospel. Oh, thank you. Shout, I'm at the tree, but I'm under the blood. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith 
as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.